When you sing, Alleluia, do you know what you are saying? It's compound word, Alleluia, praise to Yah. It's a particular form of God's name that he declares uh, with not frequently but consistently in the Old Testament. Well, we are gathered today around this blessed gospel of Luke, and I'm excited. I want to encourage you first, do not forget, do not forget the uh, incredible charcoal fire motif of John 21. How tender, how tender is our blessed, sweet Lord Jesus. I pray that has touched you, and I pray it continues to minister through this church to those who need to sit by a charcoal fire and have the master reach out in love to them. Well, the first Sunday of Advent, we reflected on the second coming and the present glorious state of God's children, Revelation 7. In the blessed presence of Jesus, who guides them to springs of the water of life, wiping away, we're told, every tear from their eyes. Glory, glory in Emmanuel's land. This past Lord's Day, the blessed second Sunday of Advent, we were blessed by Joel Heber. Did I say that right? Hebert, wrong emphasis. Joel Hebert from the Iliana Presbytery, taking us deep into the doctrine of Christ's incarnation and his God-appointed purpose of destroying the works of the devil, that as the second Adam, in whom the Imagio Dei, the image of God, was restored in mankind that we too might increasingly become like him being conformed to his likeness. In Adam's fall, we send all. Would you say that with me? In Adam's fall, we send all. Romans 5 it doesn't rhyme as nicely. But in Christ, one act of righteousness, the many are made righteous positionally through justification and progressively sanctified by the blessed Holy Spirit. So that's a fast review of last week. It was a deep, excellent sermon. These last two weeks of Advent continue the focus on our Blessed Savior's birth, his first parousia, first adventus, that's Greek, now Latin, advent, that's English, of Christ's coming as a babe born of the Virgin Mary. Would you pray with me? I'll pray and then let's stand and we'll read Luke 1, 26 following. But first, let me pray. Blessed art thou, our eternally blessed Father in heaven. 
how we love and lift up rejoicing hearts because of the glorious gift of thine only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now touch our minds with thy radiant truth, our wills with thy softening showers of blessings, our hearts with the very joy of the angelic host as they marveled at the eternal wonder of the Incarnation, when God became also a man, when the Eternal Son accepted the body which you, Father, through the Spirit, had prepared for him, becoming what he had not been, fully man, while remaining what he has eternally been, God of very God. Now to you, our King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever. Amen. Speak, Master, through thy breathed-out holy scripture. Let's stand as we open Luke 1, 26. Luke 1, 26. And uh, Ian... Could this microphone be tilted upward somewhat? It's like right in my face, obstructing my view. If it can't, it can't, I understand. We are in process of acquiring new sound equipment. But we'll not get new sound people. They are excellent. Amen? That's good. Well, that's not good if it's not tight. All right. If it falls, John will catch it. <laughs> Luke one twenty six. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged, betrothed, King James, to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, graced one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this statement, pondering what manner of salutation this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found grace, favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? Literally, since I know no man. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. 
And for that reason, the Holy Seed will be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the servant of the Lord, be it done to me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Now at this time, Mary rose and went with haste to the hill country, to the city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it came about that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed among women, you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how is it happened to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. The word of God. Amen. You may be seated. Let's walk through this scripture. We will predominantly camp in explanation, though sprinkled throughout will be doctrine and application, and then a wrap-up of the same. Verse 26, Luke 1, tells us that God sent the angel Gabriel in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, because six months earlier, an angel had appeared to Zacharias. This is all in Luke chapter 1. Announcing the coming birth of a son whose name would be John. This is John the Baptist. Now it's six months later, and the angelic announcement is sent to a virgin whose name was Mary. And if the angel's announcement concerning John was given amidst social elite of Jerusalem, the angelic words about Jesus were given in a no-account backwoods town, if you will. It was a wonderful revelation of the divine purpose and far removed from the judgment of men that God determined to make the announcement of the herald more glorious than that of his son. Hmm. That speaks. The prophecy respecting John was published in the temple, universally known, while Christ was promised to a virgin in an obscure town in Judea. And this prophecy, quote, this prophecy remains buried in the breast of a young woman, end quote, Calvin. Hmm. Examine God's M.O., modus operandi. Method of operation. Observe how God tends to do things. 
pastoral reflection, it leaps out. Beware of self-promotion. Do you know the scriptures everywhere warn us? If you go to a banquet, don't take the best seat. Let the host put you in the best seat. Go to the least seat. And again, let another praise you and not your own mouth. Beware of self-promotion. Beware of posturing so as to bring attention to yourself. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Hail, grace one, gives grace to the humble. So our Lord Jesus Christ in his first advent came in the lowliest of conditions amidst the scandal, yea, the scandal of an unwed mother. Luke chapter 7, they'll throw that in his face. We were not born of immorality. They're calling him illegitimate, though it wasn't that word. Calvin excellently says, let us learn, even when the reason does not immediately appear, to submit modestly to God and let us not be ashamed to receive instruction from her, Mary, who carried in her womb Christ, the eternal wisdom of God, 1 Corinthians 1. In the glorious second servant song of Isaiah, the servant of the Lord speaks, saying, Listen to me, O islands, and pay attention, you peoples from afar. Yahweh called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named me. He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he has concealed me. And he has also made me a select arrow. He has hidden me in his quiver. Second servant song, Isaiah. 49.1-2 The womb of a young virgin tucked away in an obscure town called Nazareth in Galilee was the beginning of hiddenness for our resplendently glorious Son of God the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. Verses 28-30 you glance at the scripture. Derek Thomas asked the legitimate question concerning Gabriel's role. Well, it's either Derek or Sinclair. He asked, do angels blush? Well, I don't know. But what must it have been like for God to call the angel Gabriel in and tell him to whom he was taking this announcement? Wow. God sent Gabriel, giving him this message of wonderment. And how did the angelic host receive it? The scripture is very clear when in Hebrews 1, 6, we are told, 
And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. Why the command to worship the Son of God? Because he whom they gaze upon with astonishment is also now in physical appearance a man. You don't worship creatures, but you do worship Christ who is fully God and fully man. And, and this is what was behind the incredible news Gabriel said. Hail, favored one. Hail, literally the word there is, graced one. The Lord is with you. And then again in verse 30, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found grace with God. Calvin says, since our limited capacities are unable to comprehend the vast greatness of the works of God, our best remedy is meditation upon his boundless grace. This is Mary. Is this me? Am I full of meditation, rumination, chewing the cud? upon the wondrous graces of my God. Oh, pastoral application. In the 1800s, the glorious grace of Jesus Christ brought out of darkness into his marvelous light the slave trader John Newton. And through this saved sinner came one of the most profound hymns gifted to the church, amazing grace. Listen to its words. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. Am I astonished at God's grace? As I sit here as a church member, am I astonished? Astonished at God's grace to me, does that thought pass through my mind? This is the contrast between the Pharisee and the publican, you realize. Both are in church, but the one never thinks about his sin, never thinks about what he really deserves and cries out, not looking at neighbor, God be merciful to me, the sinner. Quite a contrast between the Pharisee and publican. This is also the woman in Luke 7, weeping over Jesus' feet, wiping his feet with her hair. And Jesus says, Simon, for this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. If there's not a whole lot of love being tasted and experienced by you from the Father, and if there's not a whole lot of love flowing out of you to your neighbors everywhere, 
it is questionable whether you've really tasted his grace. Because if you've been forgiven just a little, which means you don't ever really think about your sin. You don't ever think about what you actually deserve because you're too busy looking at my neighbor. Well, this was Mary, astounded by grace, pondering God's grace manifesting in this incredible angelic greeting. Verses 31 through 33, Gabriel adapts his words to Isaiah 7:14 that Don read earlier. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. Matthew tells us that the name given was because he would save his people from their sins. Jesus literally means Jehovah is salvation. Well, that's Revelation 7. Salvation to our God and to the Lamb. Jehovah is salvation but not from political or military oppression. The salvation spoken of is salvation from sin. And Gabriel announces he will be called the Son of the Most High. In other words, he who had been God the Father's Son, God the Son, would now be manifested as such in the flesh. Proverbs 30 is one of a couple of passages in the Old Testament which raise the question of God has a son? Proverbs 30, who has ascended into heaven and descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has wrapped the waters in his garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name or his son's name? Surely you know, man, if I'm a Jew pre-Christ, what do I do with this? Mary, his son's name is Jesus. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Multiple prophetic passages applied David's name to the Messiah. For instance, Jeremiah 30, verse 9. They shall serve the Lord their God and David their king. Hosea 3, 5. They shall seek the Lord their God and David their king. In fact, the angel declares that in the person of Christ would be fulfilled the prediction of Amos, in that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which is fallen. Or as Isaiah 9 says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. Child born, fully man. Son given, fully God. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
There will be no end to the increase of his government or of shalom on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Or again, Isaiah 11, beautiful passage. Verses 1 through 5, Isaiah 11. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. Jesse, David's father, King David's father. And a branch from his roots will bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and strength the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. If you're tracking those words, harmonize beautifully with Mary's Magnificat. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he'll slay the wicked. That's Psalms 2, Messianic language. Also righteousness will be the belt about his loins, and faithfulness the belt about his waist. Wow. Oh, to be described not by what I wear, but by what I am in Christ. Now, deep ecclesiological and eschatological doctrine from Calvin per Luke 1.33. This is good stuff. Seatbelts on. By a new and wonderful adoption, God has admitted into the family of Jacob the Gentiles, who formerly were strangers, though in such a manner that the Jews, as the firstborn, held a preferable rank, as it is said, quote from Psalms 110, the Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion, out of Israel. Christ's throne was therefore erected among the people of Israel that he might subdue the whole world. All whom he has joined by faith to the children of Abraham are accounted in Scripture as the true Israel, though the Jews by their revolt have separated themselves from the church of God, yet the Lord will preserve till the end some remnant. Romans eleven twenty nine. 
The body of the people is apparently cut off, but we ought to remember the mystery of which Paul speaks, Romans 11:25, that God will at length gather some of the Jews out of the dispersion. Meanwhile, the church scattered throughout the whole world is the spiritual house of Jacob, for it drew its origin from Zion, end quote Calvin. That is so rich. It's the mystery of Romans 11, that God will bring his people. He'll bring the natural olive tree back into which we have been grafted. Glory be to his name. Verses 34 through 38. Mary responds. She's perplexed. How can this be, for I know no man? She has never had physical relations with a man. Well, while legally bound by betrothal, the marriage, this marriage, was not consummated. Gabriel the angel, listen carefully, Gabriel the angel does not explain the how of her coming pregnancy. He states only the what. He only leads the virgin to contemplate the power of the Holy Spirit and to surrender herself silently and calmly to his guidance. And this again is God's method. This is how our God operates. He very seldom explains either the why or the how. He gives his children the what and stops there. He is intent, he is intent that he be thy shepherd and not you. I speak then to me. That's what he's been teaching me with great empirical vividness in my life. In the angel's words, it is clear that Christ must not be born out of ordinary generation, that he might be holy, that's verse 35, and that he might be the Son of God in the flesh. He who had been the Son of God in his eternal Godhead appeared also as the Son of God in human flesh. This passage not only expresses a unity of person in Christ, one person, but at the same time points out that by clothing himself with human flesh, Christ the man is God the Son, fully man and fully God, and that we confessed in Nicene Creed. As the name Son of God belonged to the divine essence of Christ from the beginning. Do you understand? Not my notes, but so important. 
there has been the father-son relationship from eternity past. That did not start at the incarnation. God the Father has been the Father from eternity past. God the Son has been God the Son from eternity past. Incredible to ponder this. So observe that following the angel's words, Mary makes this incredible response. Behold, the servant of the Lord, be it done to me according to thy word. Beloved brothers and sisters, listen attentively to John Calvin here. Just too good. Mary does not allow herself to dispute any further. And yet many things might unquestionably have intruded themselves to hold down her faith, even to draw off her attention from what was said to her by the angel. But she stops the entrance of opposing arguments and compels herself to obey. This is the real proof of faith. When we restrain our thoughts, as it were, hold them captive so that they dare not reply this or that to God. For boldness in disputing is the mother of unbelief. End quote. Wow. My toes are bloodied. I hope yours are too. Mary literally said, Behold the slave of the Lord. The word there is doulos, douloi, feminine form. Lowest level of slavehood. Behold the slave of the Lord. She gives and devotes herself unreservably to God that he may dispose of her according to his pleasure. Is that you? Is that where you are? Behold the slave of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to thy pleasure. Is this where I'm at? Unbelievers withdraw from his hand and presence in the word. It makes them uncomfortable so they won't read the Bible. Been there, done that. Resist the feeling of conviction in the sermon, and one of the best designs is, how dare he talk about me when you don't realize it's the Spirit of God bringing conviction, not me. What am I? Faith presents us before God, ready to do, ready to accept his will. In a word, this is Calvin, in a word, 
as faith alone makes us obedient servants to God, giving us up to his power, so unbelief makes us rebels and deserters. Children of God can clearly sense the application from Mary's response. Well, Mary went in haste, that's verse 39, to a city in Judah to find her relative Elizabeth. And, and when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, her baby leaps in her wombs for joy. The Reformation Study Bible here says, quote, filled with God's spirit from his mother's womb, John begins his prophetic testimony to Christ even before his birth. His mother gives voice and words to the significance of the babe's leap. Wow. Indeed, at this day, the blessedness received in Christ cannot be the subject of our praise without reminding us of the distinguished honor God was pleased to bestow upon Mary in making her the mother of his only begotten son. In keeping with Elizabeth's proclaiming Mary to be blessed is the title she bestows on her, the mother of my Lord. The mother of my Lord. Clearly here is denoted a unity of person in the two natures of Christ. As if she had said that he who was begotten a mortal man in the womb of Mary is at the same time the eternal God. Hmm. Amen. Listen to verses 46 through 47. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Listen to a flow of application that I think is very good here. Quote, But as hypocrites often sing the praises of God with open mouth, yet unaccompanied by any affection of the heart, Mary praises God from an inward feeling of the mind. Look at it. My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Calvin says, excuse me, the words soul and spirit are used in Scripture in various senses. But when they are used or employed together, they denote two faculties of the soul, spirit being taken for the understanding and soul for the seat of the affections. That's very helpful delineation. 
spirit being taken for the understanding and soul for the seat of the affections, when they are put together in the same passage, Calvin says, it is as James says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. A key thought, the excitement of the will of a man to praise God must be preceded by a rejoicing of the spirit. Otherwise, you are just producing empty words. Because the soul of Mary exulted with joy, her heart broke out praising God. It is God's fatherly kindness alone and the salvation flowing from it that filled the soul with joy. Calvin says, in a word, the first thing necessary for believers is to be able to rejoice that they have their salvation in God. The next ought to follow, that having experienced God to be a kind father, they may offer to him thanksgiving. Mary makes nothing of herself and praises God alone. She was of no account in the eyes of the world. Her estimation of herself was nothing more. Mary's posture, let's connect phrase to phrase, parable to parable, story to parable. Mary's posture is the posture of the publican. Do you see that? That's helpful. Mary's posture is not the Pharisee. Oh, no. It's the posture of the publican. Mary cannot speak of the wondrous things God has done without immediately crying, Holy is his name. And so children of God, upon hearing the name of God, should be immediately reminded of his adorable, holy majesty. Now listen to verses 51 to 53. Look at them. In fact, let's read. And we'll close with this. 51 through 3. He has done mighty things with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. Mary ascribes the providence and judgment of God, what ungodly men call Mary ascribes as the providence and judgment of God what ungodly men describe as the game of fortune, the game of luck, good luck, bad luck, chance. But let us understand 
that she does not ascribe to God a despotic power, as if men were tossed and thrown up and down like balls by a tyrannical authority. She describes a just government founded on the best reasons, though they frequently escape our notice. <laughs> That's Calvin. And boy, is that true. Calvin. God does not delight in changes or elevate in mockery to a lofty station those whom he has determined immediately to throw down. It is rather the depravity of men that overturns the state of things because nobody acknowledges that the disposal of everyone is placed in his will and his power to instruct us by facts that whatever is lofty and elevated in the world is subject to God and the whole world governed by his dominion. Some are exalted to high honor while others either come down in a gradual manner or else fall headlong from their thrones. Thus, Consider, and see how this applies to Friday night, too. Consider Mary's prophetical words in verse 52. The world does not move and revolve by blind impulse of fortune, but instead all the revolutions observed in it are brought about by the providence of God, and that those judgments which appear to us to disturb the entire framework of society are regulated by God with unerring justice. He says we ought therefore to be scrupulously on our guard against being carried away by prosperity, against a vain satisfaction of the flesh, lest God suddenly deprive us of what we enjoy. To such godly persons as feel poverty, almost famine, and lift up their cry to God, no small consolation is afforded them, that he filleth the hungry with good things. Most important piece today coming from this passage which establishes the outbreak of her Magnificat is the posture of her heart. Be it done. Behold the slave of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to thy word. Let us pray. Father, touch our hearts with the humility of Mary. Touch our hearts with the willingness to accept whatever the hand of providence has given to us. We will not demand why. We will not demand how. We will accept the what that you have given us to do. For duties, they be ours, but events are thine, O Lord. Be glorified and praised. And Father, 
Touch again, we pray, the bereaved, those who have died, Lord, have mercy. And touch the, those who are working and struggling with low energy, low food, low sleep. But, Father, we receive all from thy hand, and we humbly pray in Christ's name. Amen.